Good morning, everybody. I want to welcome all of you here. Great to see you guys today. If you happen to be new to our church, you picked a great time to show up because we're starting this new sermon series called We Are Family. And over the next few weeks, we'll be talking about family. Uh, We'll talk about marriage, relationships, uh, singleness, parenting, all that good stuff. And we'll see that God has a lot to say to us in this area. But as we begin this series today, we're not focusing on the family that you have in your home. We're focusing on the church. Because by God's design, the church is supposed to function as a spiritual family. Now as we get started here, I want to begin with an illustration And I need you to use your imagination for a second. I want you to imagine that right next to me here is a little campfire. And there's a part of me that would love to build an actual fire up here, but I decided against that. Uh, We don't want the smoke alarms to be going off in the middle of church. I've seen that before. It's not good. I remember nursery workers rolling the cribs outside. So we better just stick with our imagination. So... We got this little fire over here, and in this fire, you got red hot coals. But now, let's say that I take one coal out of the fire, and I'm using my imaginary tongs. I don't want an imaginary burn. So then I take that piece of coal, and I drop it on the ground right here. Now, what's going to happen with that piece of coal? Well, pretty quickly, it'll get cold, won't it? In just a few minutes, it'll go completely dark. But now, what if I take that coal and bring it back over here and drop it back into the fire? Pretty quickly, it'll get hot again, won't it? So, this is a very simple principle. When coals are together, they stay hot longer. When a piece of coal is by itself, it gets cold. And you see where I'm going with this, right? The church is a lot like a campfire. This is a pretty good metaphor because your faith grows cold when you go it alone. Some of you have experienced that coldness for one reason or another. Some of you have seen it in someone you know. But then on the other side, some of you know how great it can be when we follow Jesus together. You know what it's like to have brothers and sisters in Christ who walk alongside you and encourage you and challenge you and inspire you. You know what it's like when the church becomes your spiritual family. It's a beautiful thing. So this is my prayer for everyone listening right now. My prayer is that you will not just have a strong relationship with Jesus, but that you'll also have strong relationships with other followers of Jesus. And this is exactly what God wants for each one of us. And he's wanted that from the beginning. You could go all the way back to creation, back to the book of Genesis. So Genesis 1.1, very familiar verse to many of us. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And from there, God made light the sky, the sea, sun, moon, stars, plants, animals. And then finally, in Genesis 1.27, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So God made both male and female. But that's not how it started, right? In the beginning, there was just Adam. One guy, no girl. And then in the next chapter, 
God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So Adam was created with this hardwired need. He needed more than just a relationship with God. He also needed companionship with a fellow human being. And to this very day, each one of us is hardwired with that same need for human relationships. And you know, research confirms this. It's a well-known fact that loneliness can have a negative effect on your brain. Loneliness can have a negative effect on your heart. And it's a sad thing, but loneliness is very common in our culture. According to a recent Harvard study, close to 33% of people in the U.S. deal with loneliness on a regular basis. Almost one out of three people. So that's a big problem because it is not good for the man or the woman or the boy or the girl to be alone. Now, as we think about this need for companionship, we shouldn't look at it as a sign of weakness. Back in Genesis chapter 1, God says something amazing. He says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So we're all made in the image of God. He puts something of himself inside of us. And one of the things he gave us was this need for relationships. And the reality is we all have this need because we're made in God's image. Did you see it? In this verse, God said, let us, plural, make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Plural again. So when God says us and our Who's he talking about? Well, that's a reference to the Trinity, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So from before the beginning of time itself, God existed in this relationship. One God, but three persons. And now I want to fast forward. I want to skip past the entire Old Testament. I want to skip past the life and the ministry of Jesus. And I want to stop at the beginning of the church. As Jesus left this world, he established a community called the church. And God designed the church to continue the work that Jesus began. The church is the body of Christ. But this body is more than just a workforce. God also designed the church to be a spiritual family that loves like Jesus loved. We just finished a sermon series called Love Your Neighbor. And in that series, we focused on relationships between people inside the church and people outside the church. And now we're in this series where we're focusing on the relationships between us inside the church. Now, according to Jesus, the church should be known for the great love that we have for each other. Unfortunately, you and I both know that all too often, the church is known for dysfunction and division. However, there have been many times when the church was very close to what God intended it to be. We can especially see that in the earliest days of Christianity. In Acts chapter 2, there's an amazing picture of life in the early church. Acts 2.46 says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. 
They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. That's a pretty cool picture, isn't it? These people clearly loved each other. I mean, did you, did you notice how often they met together? Every single day. We don't see that much anymore, do we? Uh, years ago, I think it was more common for the church to spend a lot of time together. Uh, this week, I was thinking about church softball. I know that used to be a big thing around here. So by a show of hands, how many of you can remember a time when you played a lot of church softball or you watched a lot of games? Yeah, quite a few of you. But that's a rare thing these days. So what changed? Well, for a lot of us, our lives got very full. Maybe you have a job that's extremely demanding. Or maybe you spend a lot of time on youth sports or other youth activities with your kids. There are many things that take up our time today. And I'm not saying that church softball is the answer, but I am saying that God designed the church to be much more than a once-a-week worship service. We're supposed to be a family, a family that follows Jesus together, a family that is known for the great love that we have for each other. So how do we find that sense of family? Or if we lost it, how do we get it back? Well, it won't happen by accident. First, you have to prioritize it. You have to build it into your schedule. Second, you got to fight for it. Just because you have it one day doesn't mean it'll stay that way. It takes work. And I have good news. Scripture shows us that it is possible for us to have this kind of community, these kind of relationships that we all want and we all need. And we could look at several places in the Bible to break that down. But this morning, I want to look at the Apostle Paul's description of a Christ-like community. It's in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 16. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, go ahead and pull that up. Romans 12, that's where we'll be. And this is uh, it's what the church is supposed to look like. So let's read it. Romans 12, starting with verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. And do not be conceited. Now, these instructions aren't difficult to understand, like a lot of what we see in the Bible. What's difficult is following these instructions. we got a long list here, a long list of what Christians are supposed to do. And we could divide these instructions into several big categories, but one of the main themes of this passage is how Christians are supposed to relate to each other and love each other. Did you notice that? See how many times the, the phrase one another shows up in this passage? Let's highlight those. Verse 10 and verse 16. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony 
with one another. Now, this one another language is, is very common in the New Testament. In fact, there are at least 59 one another commands that are addressed to followers of Jesus. And about a third of those commands specifically talk about loving one another. So you know what this means. It means if you are a Christian and your long-term plan is to slip in and out of church every Sunday morning and kind of avoid other people, you won't be able to carry out these instructions. And this is actually a very big deal because Jesus said to his disciples, this is how the world will know that you belong to me. They will know that you are my disciples if you love each other. We can't just say that we love each other. We can't just pretend that we love each other. Remember the first verse in this passage, love must be sincere. So, we have our marching orders today. We know what we're supposed to do. However, knowing is not enough, is it? It's easy to know that we're supposed to live in harmony, but it's not easy to actually live in harmony. And why is that? Why do we find this so difficult? Well, there's an important truth here, and it's this. Only Jesus can change us into a Christ-like community. I'll be honest with you. Uh, We just dropped into Romans chapter 12. We read eight verses. And that's not really the best way to go about this. Because the book of Romans is actually a letter. And it was intended to be read in its entirety. So this passage in Romans 12, it flows out of everything that came before. So in just a few seconds here, I want to do a quick flyover from the beginning of Romans up to the passage we just read. Back in the early part of this letter, Paul made the case that no one can save themselves by trying to be good enough. God has this standard, this perfect standard, and in order to be accepted by him, to have that relationship with him, you have to meet that standard. And on our own, we can't do it. We don't have it in us. And then Paul explains, we're all sinners. And because of our sin, we deserve death, eternal death, eternal separation from God. But then we find out, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8, it's the third week in a row. I've mentioned that verse. So the crucifixion proved that God loves us, that he has great plans for us. He wants good things for us. He wants a relationship with us. And that relationship is possible through Jesus. Uh, When you give your life to Christ, you receive this amazing gift of grace where all of a sudden, despite the fact that you aren't good enough, you are good enough because of what Jesus did, because he paid the price. He paid for your sins. And then you receive forgiveness. Your sins are washed clean. You have the promise and the hope of eternal life. And on top of all that, you have the gift of God's spirit in you. His power and His presence in the form of the Holy Spirit, helping you become more like Jesus. And so that means we strive to be like Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. But we don't strive to be like Jesus because we're trying to earn God's approval or we're trying to keep God's approval. We strive to be like Jesus out of a response. We're responding to what God already did for us. And that's a summary of Romans 1 through 12, verse 8. And then here in verse 9 and through most of the rest of this book, 
Paul tells Christians how we're supposed to live. And the standard is still very high. And even though the Holy Spirit gives us the power to change, we don't always get it right. And that's why sometimes you see conflict and division in the church. That's why sometimes you see people break off and isolate themselves like the coal outside the campfire. So to build and to maintain this Christ-like community, we have to surrender to God again and again. And your prayer might look something like this. You might say, Jesus, these people over here, they're really getting on my nerves, and it would be so much easier to just walk away But you told me to devote myself to these brothers and sisters. And if you're leading me to work through this, I'll do it. Even if it means I've got to consider my part of the problem, I'll do it. That's not an easy thing to say, is it? That's difficult to say because it means you have to swallow your pride. And here's the deal. The killer of Christ-like community is spiritual pride. The solution is humility. It's no accident that we read these words in verse 16. Do not be proud. Be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Man, isolation, conflict, division, those things all come from pride. Jonathan Edwards uh, was a well-known preacher from the early days of America. And if you haven't heard of this guy, that's okay. Um, He was a big name around Massachusetts in the early 1700s. But one of the reasons we know about Jonathan Edwards today is, is because he wrote a lot about the phenomenon of revivals. This was happening a lot in his time. Uh, Edwards kept seeing these great revivals where God would move in a powerful way and, and people would surrender their lives to Jesus and there would be this great enthusiasm for following Jesus for a little while. But then Edwards noticed that at some point these revivals would eventually fizzle out and he looked for a pattern to explain that. And then I don't agree with everything that Edwards wrote, but I I do do agree with him here. He said, every time one of these revivals came to an end, you could trace it back to spiritual pride. And then he came up with a list of prideful things that kill Christ-like community. So check it out. Six signs of spiritual pride, paraphrased from Jonathan Edwards. First, if I am a prideful person, I will focus on others' faults more than my own. It's super easy for me to see what's wrong with you, but when it comes to my own weaknesses, I have some serious blind spots. I I don't really see them, and I don't want to see them. Number two, I will talk about the faults of others with an attitude of contempt. When you hear me talk about this guy over here and everything that's wrong with him, you might pick up an attitude of condescension from me. You might get the sense that I enjoy talking about his faults, possibly because that makes me feel better about myself. Third, if I'm prideful, I quickly break away from those I criticize, kind of a hit and run, or I break away from those who have criticized me. I can't handle it. So either way, I'm done with you. I'm not trying to work it out. There's no discussion, just separation. 
Number four, I'm always dogmatic because I don't see the difference between major beliefs and minor beliefs. In churches like Plum Creek, um, we've latched on to a slogan that I really like. It goes like this, in essentials, unity. We have to agree on the big stuff, those essentials. In opinions, liberty. It's okay to disagree on the opinions. But in all things, love. So in essentials, unity. In opinions, liberty. In all things, love. Now, a prideful person often turns opinions into essentials. Okay, number five. I love to confront others because I like winning. Or I refuse to confront others because it's too difficult and it's too uncomfortable. Either way, with either of those options, who am I focusing on? Focusing on myself. And then finally, I am often unhappy. I often feel sorry for myself. And why is that? Well, I have this expectation for my life. I feel like I deserve a good life. And right now, things aren't going the way they should go. It's about me. So, I think that's a pretty good list. But you know, we could also flip this list around and that would help us see what a humble person looks like. So, let's go back to the top and think about humility. So, humble people are actually aware of their own faults. And because of that, they're pretty slow to point out the faults of others. And when they do, they speak with kindness. Then when relationships get hard, they don't give up immediately. They're they're willing to work through it. Now, what the other person does, that's on them. But, But a humble person will try to come to a resolution and a solution. Then humble people are also flexible in matters of opinion. They know the difference between opinion and essentials. Now, they're not afraid of confrontation, but they don't take pleasure in confrontation. And then they also don't feel like God owes them anything. Anything good from God is a gift that we don't deserve. So, they're grateful for what they have. Now, let me ask you, how are you doing? Do you see any signs of spiritual pride in yourself? Or do you see any of these uh, traits of a humble person in yourself? Chances are you see a little bit of both. And it's okay to admit that we struggle with pride. Spiritual pride is very, very common. And then because of that struggle, we're often tempted to isolate ourselves or participate in conflict and division Spiritual pride shows up too often, not just in this world, but in the church. But Jesus calls you to live a life that's not for you. It's not about you. That's why the two greatest commandments take our focus and and move it outward. It's an external focus. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's not my life for me. Following Jesus is my life for others. And no, that's not easy, but that's where we find God's blessings. And that's where we can build true community. So after all this, what's the application? What's a practical step that we can take? Well, I have one simple challenge 
And it's this. The challenge is to take some kind of step to build deeper relationships in the church. And I realize uh, we have different kinds of people here today. Uh, Some of you may uh, be here just because you're searching and exploring Christianity. Or maybe you came with someone else and you haven't yet made a decision to follow Jesus. But if that's you, I want you to know we're glad you're here and we invite you to take a step to build deeper relationships within the church. Then others of you here, you you may come on Sunday mornings pretty regularly. You you may have made the decision to follow Jesus. You may be a member of Plum Creek, but you wouldn't say you're very connected. And you probably know that the Sunday morning worship service is not the best place to build deeper relationships. If that's you, we invite you to take this step as well. And then, even if you do feel like you've got some good relationships here, there's still a step that you can take. Now, there are several ways to take this step, but when someone asks me how to get connected here at Plum Creek, one of the first things I tell them is to join a life group. A life group is designed to build the kind of Christ-like community we're talking about today. And this is the perfect time to be talking about this because our life groups kick off next Sunday. The first groups will meet on September 10th. Now, these groups run from September through early May, and that gives you enough time to really get to know people. Uh, In your bulletin today, there's a list of the different life groups that still have space available. Some groups are already full. Now, I know that many of you are familiar with life groups. You've been around here. But in case this is new to you, here's the basic idea. A life group usually meets one night a week, uh, often in a home, sometimes here at church. The average size is about a dozen people. And at a normal meeting, most of these groups will eat together, and then they'll spend time in Bible study and prayer and just building those deeper relationships. Over the years, I've seen great things happen in these groups. I've seen strong friendships form. I've seen groups really support each other through hard times and struggles. In fact, I was remembering this week, several years from now, or several years ago, uh, my family had an emergency in the middle of the night. And there was a couple in our life group that just showed up without hesitation. And I still appreciate that years later. Uh, It's a good thing when you don't go it alone. If you're not sure about joining a group, if you're not sure which group to join, I do have some recommendations for you. Uh, You've got that list uh, in the bulletin insert. That list is also on our website at plumcreek.org slash smallgroups. And on that page, that's where you sign up for a group. So check that out. Look at the, the days, the times, the leaders, and whether or not childcare is available. Find one that fits you. And I do want to point out that we have a couple of groups with a specific focus. First, Jared Perkins is leading a group that will meet in Arcadia on Thursday nights. And this life group is unique because it's specifically for people who are newer to Plum Creek. Uh, less than a year, something around that. Now, if you are new here, this would be a great place to jump in, and I'll tell you why. Uh, Remember that piece of coal sitting by itself? There's a scenario that I've seen play out too many times, and and here's how it goes. Somebody will come to Plum Creek. They decide they like the church. They decide to stick around, and so they come regularly, but 
the only place they get connected is right here in the Sunday morning worship service. And they never get around to building deeper relationships. And when that happens, you become a lot like that piece of coal. Even if you're right here next to the campfire, you're not in it. So please know we want what's best for you. We all have this need for relationship. And it's not enough to sit in this room an hour a week or two hours a month. Your faith grows cold when you go it alone. So I I really encourage you, if you find yourself in that scenario, join a group. The other life group I want to mention is the one that I'm leading. Uh, We're meeting here at the church on Tuesday nights. Uh, We have child care as well. And through the fall, we'll focus specifically on issues related to parenting. If you're a parent with kids at home, you know right now, uh, it's challenging to raise children. Uh, I've been thinking about how different things are now compared to when I was growing up. Uh, My parents didn't have to deal with a lot of the complicated issues we have in our world today. Uh, For example, when I was growing up, nobody had a smartphone. The iPhone was not even a twinkle in Steve Jobs' eye when I was a kid. Another example, when I was a kid, uh, nobody I knew had any idea what the letters LGBT stood for much less LGBTQIA+. It's just a different world that we have to navigate. And as the leader of this life group, I am well aware that I don't have all the answers, but I do know that we can support each other. I do know that we can find wisdom in God's Word, and and He will help us guide our children, lead them, give them every opportunity to know and follow Jesus in a world that often leads them in the opposite direction. And just a quick clarification, if your kids are already grown, you are welcome to join this group because we'd love to have your wisdom and your experience and your input. In fact, that goes for all of these life groups. Uh, Some of you might think, I don't need to join a group because I already have good Christian friends. I already have the kind of relationships you're talking about. And yes, that may very well be true, but I want to encourage you as well. Because there are people in our church who would greatly benefit from what you have to offer. You could be someone who pulls that coal back into the fire. You could be someone who helps, helps another person take their next step closer to Jesus. You could be someone who supports a person who's going through a really difficult time. In some cases... Being part of a small group is not about what you get out of it. It's about what you can offer to others. Now, there's one more group that I need to speak to. If you look at this list of life groups and and you say, ah, there's just no way I can make this commitment right now, we do have one more kind of small groups, and that's our Bible study electives that meet here at church on Sunday mornings during the 930 service. Now, we have two women's groups right now, one men's group and two new uh, electives. Uh, Samantha Reinhart leads a group that is specifically for 18 to 25-year-olds. Evan Cott is leading a group that starts next week, and it runs for just five weeks, so short-term commitment there. And this elective is called Acts and Beyond. And uh, you'll look at how the earliest Christians uh, lived out their faith, and it's a deeper dive into some of the same things we're talking about today. Now, technically, you don't have to sign up for a Bible study elective. You can just show up. 
But it really helps if we know you're coming. So go to that same page, plumcreek.org slash smallgroups, and, and sign up there. So these are a few options. But it's up to you to take the step. And as you take that step, be aware, this is a process. It, it may require trying a couple different groups before you find one that clicks for you. That's okay. The effort is worth it because we all need this community. We all need to experience the church as God designed it. God designed the church to be a spiritual family that loves like Jesus loved. And if for any reason you're having trouble getting connected here, don't hesitate to reach out. We've got that Discover Lunch coming next week. Uh, that would be a great place for you to learn more and, and we could help you get connected. Or just shoot us an email. Uh, we, we are happy to help however we can. A Christ-like community is not a closed community. There's always room for one more. So I hope you'll join that community. Take that step toward deeper relationships. Let's pray. Father, we look to you. We see in you the, the pattern that, that shows up in us, this um, hard wiring for relationship. And Lord, I, uh, I really don't like the thought of someone being here at this church and still feeling alone or isolated. So I pray that as a church, you will help us build uh, the kind of community that we're talking about here. I pray that we will all take the steps that will encourage that community, even today, even right now. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.